Cool. Okay. <laughs> so uh, before we begin, um, I'm just going to pray for us. Um, just that the Lord would be speaking through me. Um, and that it's not just me talking and talking and talking. Um, dear Lord, I thank you for this night. Lord, I thank you for everyone here that we can fellowship together, that we can worship together. Lord, just thank you for the gift of music. Um, it's such a blessing to be able to sing um, in praise of you. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you would bless this time we spend in the Word together. Lord, please help me to um, be representing your Word accurately and faithfully. God, work, please work through me. Um, God, I don't want it to be uh, my words, but I want them to be your words. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Um, so I'm going to be teaching out of First John, kind of going all over the book. But specifically, I want to read, um, just to start us off, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you guys are able to turn there. And it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Alright, so First uh, John was written in John's old age to some, a group of churches in Asia Minor. Um, and these churches had just experienced a lot of false teaching. Um, that was going through, um, and we don't know exactly what it was, but we, what we do know is that this false teaching was specifically attacking the incarnation, attacking who Jesus was, um, that they were claiming that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that Jesus was not fully God, fully man, and that has really serious ramifications for what the gospel says, because if Jesus is not who he says he is, if Jesus was not fully God, fully man, then his work on the cross is not enough for salvation. And so that would lead these people to add stuff to the gospel or take stuff away from the gospel and make it more about what you do or what you can achieve in your life. All right, and so that's just kind of some background to this. And so, you know, why John's writing. And John is writing this to these churches because they'd had these false teachers, and a lot of these false teachers had left the church, and they'd probably taken some people with them, and so the members of these churches that were remaining were worried, they were confused. Um, a lot of them probably wondered if they were saved or what the true gospel was, because there was this false teaching was mixing up, and so they needed to hear the truth, and so John writes to comfort them, to assure them of the truths of the gospel, and also to assure them of their salvation, that they had stayed true to the word of Christ stayed true to the gospel. And so, you know, why does this, how does this apply to us is, you know, this is something that we also experience. Um, we also can struggle knowing, am I saved? Do I, is this my faith truly real? Um, and also, what is the basics of the Christian life? How do we live if we are saved? And so John writes this letter, and he's seeking to instruct this church on what a Christ, what the Christian life looks like, what the Christian life is based on, and based on what he's writing here, he also says someone whose, whose life looks like this, someone who's living for this, for Christ in this way, they are saved. They're demonstrating the work that Christ has done in their heart already. All right, and so the way he does this is he has three kind of main themes that he's going through. Um, if you guys remember when Luke went through 1 John uh, several years ago, um, Dole, you guys remember that? D-O-L. Um, those were doctrine, obedience, and love. These different tests that J John writes about that someone can examine their life and see this is how Christ has worked in me and this is how this has affected me um, in my life. All right, and so I did not do slides, unfortunately, but I'm going to try and let you guys know when I'm going to a new topic. Um, so hopefully that helps out a little bit. 
All right. Um, so the first test um, that John talks about is this test of doctrine. So, you know, why does doctrine matter? Well, you know, I looked it up on Google. You know, <laughs> of, of course, Google Dictionary. You can just do this word definition. And so, according to Google, um, the wisest source apparently. Um, Doctrine is a set of beliefs held and taught by a church or other group, which, you know, that's a pretty good definition. Um, you know, and we would probably use a similar one, but we would say that in the Bible, the way we, when we talk about doctrine, we're talking about the set of truths taught in the scriptures about Jesus, about the gospel, about um, God, and about man and how we relate to him. It's a set of truths. And that's what we base our entire lives around, is the truth. Um, and John starts right out of the gate talking about this. Remember, he had been writing to counter what these false teachers were saying. And so he starts right off in chapter 1. Um, that which we had heard from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we had looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Right, so the, he starts right off explaining what, where these false teachers had gone wrong. They were teaching that Jesus had not come in the flesh. And John says, I was there. Me and the other disciples, we were there. We saw Jesus. We didn't just see him. We touched him. We lived with him. Um, he was with us for, you know, for three years. They spent time with Jesus. John is saying Jesus was not just some spiritual being. He was a man. He lived with us like a man. Um, and, you know, why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus came as a man? Well, in order for, so you, you guys know the story of the gospel, right? Jesus, we sinned, right, the very beginning, and now we have this sin nature in us now. We've rebelled against God. And why does that matter? Because God is our make creator, and he has the right to make the rules that govern our lives. Um, and so in our rebellion, we were cut off from God, and so we deserve punishment from God. We deserve the wrath of God on us. Um, but... You know, this whole story of the Bible, God sends the Messiah. He sends Jesus to live as a man. Um, and this is because in order for man's sins to be paid for on the cross, a man has to pay for that. You know, that's one reason why the animal sacrifices weren't able to actually save people is because the animals have no way of paying for a man's sin. Um, they're just a picture of what's to come. And so Jesus had to come as a man and live as a man. Another reason he had to come as a man is because he had to live out the life that God had commanded for men to do. He had, Jesus, when Jesus lived, he fulfilled the entirety of the law, and he lived perfectly. And so when he died, he was able to substitute himself for us. Um, and Jesus also had to be fully God as well, because in order for our infinite sins to be paid for, the infinite wrath that we deserved, only an infinite God can cover that. And so Jesus has to be fully God and fully man in order to pay for our sins. And John says he was that, and Jesus was able to do that. In his life, he, he, was, a, he was fully man. He lived like us. We were able to touch and see him. He experienced all the things we do, all the temptations. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst and sickness just like we do. He experienced the temptations to sin, just like we do. And that's why he's able to pay for our sins, because he was like us, um, but without sin. Um, and so John starts out explaining this about God and about Christ. And so another thing that is important about when we talk about doctrine is this is truth. This is the gospel, right? How does this affect whether a Christian can know if they're saved or not? Well, a true Christian is going to trust in the truth of the gospel, in these doctrines about Jesus. And one of the most important ones 
as it comes to salvation that John talks about and it's also talked about a lot in by the Apostle Paul is Jesus's work is completely effective is completely sufficient um, you know sufficient sounds it sounds so wrong to say that Jesus's work is sufficient because the way we use the word sufficient now is like oh it's just barely enough it's sufficient to get you this much you know but when we talk about Jesus's work being sufficient in the Bible we're saying it's more than enough it completely covers everything um, I'm just going to flip over to Colossians chapter 2 really quick. And this is a passage that um, really talks about how Christ's death is completely effective. It's all that is needed to pay for sin. Um, And this is Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Um, Jesus' work is all that is needed for salvation. Right? We read this. All of our trespasses, they were nailed to the cross. If we believe in Jesus, then there's nothing that we do that pays for just a little bit of our sins. Um, and that's what one of the most common false teachings is, you know, in the time of the New Testament, even now, is that <clears throat> you, like Jesus is, does part of it, but you have to do a little bit extra. No, that's not the case. Jesus has paid it all. And John really needs, wants the, these people to understand that, these cr- Christians who are struggling to understand that. It's not up to you. Jesus has already done it all for you. Trust in him fully. All of our debt is nailed to the cross with Christ. If we believe in him, we do not need to do more or try to um, achieve something more by our own merits or our own lives. It's all been done on the cross. And John is trying to help them understand that Jesus is enough. Um, And... You know, we, it's important to understand also, um, you know, we talked a little about how Jesus um, saves us. And so John talks about two specific uh, actions that Jesus did um, here. So he says in chapter 1 that um, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, that's in verse 7. So if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So the first part of salvation John talks about is that Jesus cleanses us. We were dirty, sinful. Um, it's kind of like um, if you hear the stories in the New Testament of the lepers. right? They had this disease and they could not be in society. They had to stay away from people. Whenever they got close to anyone, they had to call out, unclean, unclean, because they had this contagious disease. And just like that, our sin makes us unclean. We cannot go into the presence of God. But when Jesus died, and we believe in him, his blood cleanses us. Now we're able to go into the presence of God because of the cleansing work of Christ. And then John also talks about Um, propitiation, um, which is a big word, kind of (laughs) confusing. So he says, uh, Jesus, he is in chapter 2, verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So propitiation is, like I said, it's a long word, and what it means is to satisfy. So when we say Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, our sins deserved the wrath of God, that wrath had to be satisfied somehow. Um, And when Jesus died, God poured out his wrath on Jesus, not on those who believe in him. Um, And this is, you know, true for all Christians. Your sin has already been paid for. It's been propitiated. Um, I don't know if that's quite the right way to say it, but God's wrath that should have been put on you, it's already been done. It's already been dealt with on Christ. So 
because of this, what do we have? We have we've been cleansed. We can go into the presence of God now. Our sins are already paid for. We don't have to worry about that anymore. And so now, this changes how we live our lives. Um, and before I go into that, I do want to talk a little bit about what he's about. You know, our struggles. You know, we still struggle with sin now. You know, we still face these daily temptations to sin. And, you know, John understands that. Um, and so he reminds these Christians of what Jesus is still doing in their lives now. Salvation isn't just a, well, Jesus paid for my sins, now it's all done. No, it's Jesus has paid for our sins, and he's still working in our lives. He's still helping us. He's still there for us. Um, in verse chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 9, or verse 8, actually. Uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, we're still going to sin. We can't say that we're sinless. Um, we still have these struggles. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is still at work right now. When we sin, we can go to him and he is faithful and just to forgive us. We repent of our sins. You guys remember from last week, uh, Damon talked a lot about repentance. We repent of our sins and we go to Christ. And he's an advocate for the Father, before the Father. So an advocate is kind of kind of like a lawyer, kind of like a, a go-between, essentially. Um, our sins, whenever we sin, when we struggle, we go to Christ. And Jesus is there and he tells the Father, I've paid for that sin. It's already done. You, that sin does not need to be, need to be judged. Um, and this doesn't mean that the Father is like looking for ways to um, judge us for our sins. The Father is fully supportive in this role that um, Jesus has as our advocate. It's a bit confusing how the Trinity works. I don't understand it fully, to be honest. Um, but we know that we can take our sins to Jesus and we know that he has forgiven them. Um, and that's something that John reminds these believers who are worried, who are confused um, because of this thing that they've gone through with people leaving the church. Um, in our times where we're struggling, don't try to hold it into yourself. Don't try to keep it from God as if God is going to like make you lose your salvation or something. No, go to him. He's our advocate. Jesus is there. He, your sin is paid for. Do not worry. Um, and so, applying this um, test of doctrine is starts off with how do we act when we sin, when we struggle with our sins. Um, if we believe in Jesus, if we're truly saved, we're going to go to Christ with everything, with all of our struggles, and we know that we've already because we've already gone to Him with our greatest need of salvation. He's already granted that to us. Now in our daily struggles, we continue to go to him. For a non-Christian, you're not they're not going to repent. We talked a lot about repentance last week. This test of doctrine, maybe they don't they're not going to believe that Jesus is enough to be to save you. You're not going to believe that um, you're going to try to act like, well, I can fix part of my life on my own. I don't need Jesus for that. Now, if a true Christian is going to go to Christ with every need, and there's still going to be struggles with that, we still struggle with um, trying to control things on our own, but Christ always brings us back to himself. We keep going to him for all of our daily needs. And then another test, another application of this test of doctrine that John talks about um, is found in chapter 4. And this is to test the spirits, uh, test all the teaching that you hear from the truth of the Bible. So he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from, is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Um, as part of this test of doctrine, listen to what people are teaching you, what the world is teaching you, what I'm teaching you. <laughs> Everything that you hear, test it against what the Bible says. We, we teach you the gospel all the time here at TYG. You hear it at church on Sundays. Weigh everything that you hear against the truth of the gospel. That's why doctrine is so important, because these truths define what we believe, and they also um, define how do we, how are we saved. It's fully in the work of Christ. It's fully believing in that, and then we take test everything that we hear against this truth that Jesus has paid it all, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Um, yeah. All right. So. This next section is uh, talking about obedience, and all of these kind of blend together. It's not there's not just a a one thing, one test, and another test, and another test. All these kind of lead on from each other. So we've just talked about the test of doctrine, right? A true believer is going to believe these truths about Jesus, but now, now what is that? How does that change our lives now? What's going to be different now? And it's going to be obedience um, to what Christ has said. Um, so a true believer is going to seek to obey the commandments of Jesus as found in the Bible, as found in the scriptures. Um, and John says this all throughout the book. You know, having right doctrine is important. And believing this doctrine is going to change your life. Um, you can't just say, oh, I believe this, that's cool, but you know, it doesn't really matter how I live. No, if you believe in Christ and he's saved you, that's going to change your life. It's going to change your heart because Christ has changed your heart. And not only that, the Holy Spirit has now been put into your heart. Um, now that, so now we can live for Christ. We can live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to Christ. Um, so, <clears throat> starting in chapter 2, John talks a little bit about uh, obedience in the life of a believer. So he says, um, in starting in verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him, um, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And this is the same thing that we read at the beginning in chapter 5, um, that whoever loves God is going to obey his commandments. Um, and when I say this, I want to be very, very careful to explain and just to help you guys understand, you do not gain anything by obedience. You do not gain any part of your salvation. Um, that's already been done. Obedience comes after salvation. I know that we say that a lot around here. We say, you know, you're not saved by your works. We say, we say that, you know, don't try to do good works to save yourself. But that's so easy to fall into that trap. And it's because of kind of how we're hardwired to think is, oh, do this and I get this. And the gospel switches that whole thing around. It's, I do this because this has already been done to me. This change in my heart has been made. I have the Holy Spirit now. And now I have this desire to obey Christ and obey his commandments. Um, and then also just, again, kind of going back to what we've already talked about before, you know, this doesn't mean that Christians aren't going to still sin. Um, there's still going to be struggles. But there is a difference in the life of a non-Christian and a Christian in how we sin. 
um, how we struggle. Um, so in chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, he says that everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And so John here talks about what he calls a practice of sinning um, or keeping on sinning. And this is going to be something that's going to be a difference between a non-Christian and a Christian is a non-Christian is going to live their life, they're going to keep sinning, and maybe they're going to feel sorry for their sins, you know, kind of all the way back to what Damon was talking about last week with repentance. You know, maybe you're going to, like Judas, he felt sorry for his sin, but he didn't turn to Christ with that. He didn't turn to Christ with his struggle. He turned to himself and tried to fix it himself, and it he ended up despairing because he couldn't fix it himself. Um, and Christian, when you struggle with your sins, where do you turn? Turn to Christ. Because, right, we've, we just read here, um, he appeared in order to take away sins. You've been cleansed, right? That doesn't mean that you're not going to keep sinning, but it does mean that how you respond to your sin is going to be different than how a non-Christian responds to sin. Um, the difference between habitual sinning, continual living in your life in sin, and maybe feeling sorry, but not ever truly going to Christ to help you, or struggling with sin, maybe even struggling with that same sin constantly, but every time going to Christ, every time going to him and asking his forgiveness, and knowing that he has already paid for it. Um, Right, and so when someone lives their life in continual unrepentant sin, then it's a sign that maybe they don't know Christ. And if that's something where you can see that in your life, where you know you you have these sins, but you know you don't really you're not really too worried about it. It doesn't bother you that you're struggling with this sin. Maybe it bothers you if you get caught, but. It, you don't really need to. You don't feel the need to turn to Christ to deal with this, and you feel like you've got it on your own. Then examine your heart. You know, does your heart actually have a desire to live for Christ because of what He's done for you, or is it just a desire to look good in front of people? Um, a true Christian is going to live in a way that is desiring to glorify God because of what's been done, not trying to do something in order to gain from God. Because, um, Christian, you already have everything that you need. Um, and so, how do we apply this in our lives now? Um, John is, and like I said, it's a very practical book. It's all about how does this affect my life? Um, and so, the first application is be righteous. And I know that's obvious. <laughs> um, but as we struggle with sin and we struggle with obedience, um, a Christian is going to desire to live for Christ and desire to follow these commandments. Right? We read that in chapter 1 already, um, and we also read it in chapter 5 at the very beginning. Whoever loves God wants to keep these, his commandments. It's natural, a natural desire for a Christian. Um, and also, I do want to say, too, it's not unkind or unreasonable of God to give us these commandments, to give us these things to obey. Um, actually, it's a blessing and an honor for us to be able to do that. Um, God is our creator, and he gave us a way to live that honors him and glorifies him. Um, God designed us to have a relationship with him and to be obeying him and doing these things so that we can worship him and grow that relationship with him. These commandments aren't 
do, don't do, do this, do this, do this, do this, so that maybe you can have a relationship with God. It's, no, I've already got a relationship with God. I want to show him my love by obeying him. Um, and so seek to do that. Seek to live righteously because of what Christ has done for you. Um, and then, again, just remember that Christ is your advocate because you're going to still struggle with sin, right? But Jesus is there to help you. He's there to help you obey these commandments. Remember, he sent us his Holy Spirit who's inside of us now. We are able to live for Christ because of what he's already done for us. Um, all right. So this final one is the L in dull is love. So, you know, we talked about, okay, we've got the doctrines, and then because we believe the doctrines, because we believe that Christ has saved us, now we're going to want to obey Christ. And so love is how do we obey Christ? Um, and when we talk about love, we need to start at the beginning, at the source of love. You know, what is love? Um, so if we go into chapter 4, John just writes this amazing, amazing section just talking about the love of God. Um, and this is where we really need to start when we talk about love. So he says, Beloved, uh, starting in verse 7, sorry. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Um, and then he continues on. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his, his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Um, this is just beautiful passage talking about the love of God and the heart of God. And we can't talk about how we love, how we do this, without talking about how God has already done this for us. You know, John says three times in there, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And then how does, how did God love us? Well, the love of God was made manifest among us in Jesus Christ, that God sent his son to save us, um, that God loved us to send a way for us to be saved, to be cleansed, because God didn't have to do us do that. God did not have to love us. We didn't deserve any love from God. We deserved wrath, but he sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be loved by God, so that we could be saved and have this relationship with him. And you know, John summarizes a little bit what we talked about with doctrine, right? Um, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. You know, what we believe is based on God's love for us, based on what he has done in our lives already. Um, it's not anything about what we do. It's about what he's already done in us. Um, so... Based on this, based on 
what he's done for us, that's going to change our lives. You know, we talked about doctrine, we talked about obedience, but this is really the heart of the book. You know, John spends so much time talking about love, talking about what God has done for us. And now, then he also talks about, well, what's this going to change in our lives? You know, we talked about a little bit already. Well, it's going to make us want to understand more about Christ. It's going to make us want to believe in him, to be saved through his work. Um, It's going to make us want to obey the commandments that Jesus has given us, to obey the the desires that God um, has for us to live. Um, And again, it's out of love. It's not out of obligation or out of a need to do this and do that to be saved. It's because we've already been saved. Um, And I keep on stressing that because it's very easy to forget that. Um, And so he's talking about love, and so he's just spent this whole section explaining what is love, what has God done for us, how has God explained, demonstrated his love for us. So now how do we live? How do we love? What does love look like in our lives? Um, So first thing is don't love. Uh, Sounds confusing, right? So turn with me to uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Um, And when I say don't love, I mean do not love the world. That's what John is talking about. You know, don't, right? So he starts out in chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, you know, John talks about what a Christian is not going to love. You know, because we've been loved by God, we're not going to love these other things that take us away from God. Um, do not love the world or the things in the world. <clears throat> so when he's talking about the world here, it's, you know, we've we talked about this often. He's talking about these sinful desires, these sinful, the sinful world that's around us. He's not talking about just, you know, the earth, you know, don't love the earth. I mean, the earth can be an idol for some people. It could be for you. But he's not talking about just, oh, you've got to hate this dirt. You've got to hate all these people who live on the world. No. When he says, do not love the world, he's referring to these um, things that he talks about here. Um, the desires of the flesh. Right? The desires of the flesh. Anything that we naturally want. Um, you know, a lot of times, specifically, these are the sinful things that we want. We want this. We want that. Um, lust. We struggle with lust. We struggle with um, desire for wealth um, in a bad way, where this is all-consuming. I must have this. God, step aside. I must have this in order to satisfy myself. Because that demonstrates you don't love God. You love this. If God can't satisfy you, then you do not love God. Um, and then the desire of the eyes, you know, this is things you see that you want, um, right? Do not love these. Do not go after these fully, ignoring God, setting God aside just for these things that I see that I want to be satisfied with, satisfy my eyes with, satisfy my flesh with, and then. The pride of life, um, and this was something that was a little bit confusing uh, for me. So, you know, looking it up and reading about it, it's talking about having pride in what you're able to accomplish, what you're able to achieve on this world. And for me, this is something that I struggle with a lot um, because I tend to be very driven by what can I do, what, what can I accomplish. Um, and this is something that I'm sure a lot of you guys can also struggle with. Um, because the other th- two, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, 
they tend to be a little bit more obvious with you know them being sinful. It's like, well, clearly that's wrong, and clearly me desiring that and living for that is wrong, so I'm not going to struggle with that as much. You know, maybe you will, but other people, it's a little bit more visible, and maybe you're not going to struggle with that because you're afraid of other people seeing it. With this one, the pride of life, it's can sometimes look like a good thing. And to the world, it is a good thing. You know, when you go to college, even not at college, just reading anything or on the internet or stuff, the world teaches you to take pride and take all of your joy and satisfaction for what you're able to accomplish. Um, maybe it's your grades. Maybe it's your work. I, don't, I guess not a lot of you guys are working right now. But it can very easily be just anything you're able to accomplish. And why is this such an important thing that John writes about it? He says, do not love this. Because it's showing, it's taking away from our love of God. Um, it's idolatry. Um, we talked a lot about idols here as well. If something is taking away from the love that you have for God and pushing that aside and you want this more than you want God, then that's an idol. It's something that you desire more than Christ. Now, a Christian, we're going to struggle with this. Like I said, I struggle with taking pride and finding my satisfaction in the things that I can accomplish. But the love of Christ in our hearts, the Holy Spirit working in us, is going to be convicting us of that sin, is going to be convicting us of that idolatry, and turning us back to Christ. Turning us back to, look what the love that God has already demonstrated for you. Now turn back and repent of that sin and turn back to Christ. Because he has already paid for that sin, and so you don't have to worry about um, having failed with that. But do not continue in that either. Um, and one of the ways that God does that often is through discipline. You know, that's the way, one of the ways that God loves us is by disciplining us and bringing us out of sin and bringing us closer to the love of Christ, closer to living for Christ. Um, you know, and continuing on in this section, um, he talks about, you know, all that's in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. These things that we thought, that we would desire, they're not from God. They're from the world. They're from um, the devil, often. And just this sinful world that surrounds us, even from ourselves. And that's why we do not love them, because they're not from God. They're from the world. Um, and he continues and says, the world is passing away, along with all of its desires. These things that we love, these pride, this pride that we take in our accomplishments, it's not going to last. It's all going to go away. It's all going to pass away. Um, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Remember that. You know, especially if you're a Christian, remember that. These things in this world, they're not going to last. They don't last forever. But God, he lasts forever. The love of God, that lasts forever. Um, his work in you eventually that's going to be completed and you're going to be sinless you're going to let you're going to have a perfect body that's going to last forever if you believe in Christ if you've experienced the love of God that's going to change you it's going to change your desires um, away from this world that's passing away to the everlasting God and then so that's you know talking about love, don't love the world, but instead, what do we love? We love God. Um, we love our Father. Um, a true believer loves God because of what he has done for us. Remember that section in, in chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us, we love now. He says that so over and over again. Love God. You know, and how do we how do we love God? That's a, kind of a confusing thing because I don't know about you, but when I 
think about how do I love God? It's a bit, I don't know. I try to imagine it and it's like, well, but God doesn't need anything from me. But I can't see God. I can't tangibly do something for God. So how do we love God? Well, he says in, um, you know, as we've read before, whoever loves me will keep my commandments. Um, if we remember, um, wait, no, not right there. Sorry. Uh, that is in, there it is. Um, so, no, wait, hold it. What? I think I might have got the wrong one down. Sorry about that. <laughs> Oh, it's from the very beginning passage that we talked about. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, in chapter 5, um, everyone who believes in Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Right? That's the test of doctrine. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Um, for this is the love of God that we obey his commandments. Right, so this is how we love God um, in two ways, is by obeying his commandments, right, as we talked about before with the test of obedience, and then also by loving the children of God, loving um, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how we demonstrate um, the effect, the, what God has done for us, is by loving our brothers and sisters. Um, right? Um, and I'm going to read from chapter 3, 11 through 14, and f- chapter 4, 20 and 21. Um, and this is, both these sections are talking about how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, starting in chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Um, And so here, John is taking it in the negative way. Um, He does this a couple times where he says, don't love, this is not how you love your brothers and sisters, is by hating them. Um, and that could be surprising. Like, I don't hate my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? But there's still that struggle with us. Sometimes we do hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, we can be jealous of what they have. We can um, have this um, desire to be better than them or desire to... Um, have something more than them or have something that they have. Um, that's not loving them. That's not how we demonstrate what God has done in us. Um, and John says that's a sign that God's love isn't in you is if you live your life constantly s- living in contempt of other people, other Christians. But if God has changed our hearts, we're going to love them love them Um, and like I said that's still going to be a struggle sometimes but when we do struggle with that we're going to take that to Christ Um, and then in chapter 4 John talks about how we love um, our brothers or sorry not John chapter 4 chapter 3 verse 16 by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so this is how this love is manifested in our lives, is made clear in our lives. Um, and remember, Again, we love because he first loved us. 
And so this is how we are going to present that love to our brothers and sisters. And John is practical here. He's very practical. Um, talks starts off talking about generosity. If I have something and I see my brother needs this, if I love him, I'm going to share with him. I'm going to help him with that need that he has. Um, and you know, for you guys, maybe that might not seem like something you can do. You know, maybe it's like, well, I can't give money to these people or these people because I don't really have that much money or I don't have, you know, I can't offer this to people because I don't have my own house. <laughs> um, so how do you guys tangibly love your brothers and sisters? Um, well, one way that you guys can do that now is by bearing one another's burdens, by being with your brothers and sisters. Um, it can be just simply spending time with someone who's struggling. Um, and when I say that, I do want to encourage you guys too. When someone's struggling with something that you don't understand or that you don't completely, you, you've never experienced, don't use that as an excuse not to go and be with them not to go and encourage them. Um, sometimes the way you know we can think is, well, or maybe it's just me because I'm a guy, um, but sometimes I can think, well, I don't know what it's like, so I probably shouldn't speak into their lives. No, you, you can go and speak into their lives. You can share this encouragement in the Bible, share the encouragement of Christ, share the love of Christ. Again, remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done in our lives. He has loved us. Encourage your brothers and sisters with that. Um, and sometimes it can be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and I, when I say that, I mean actually praying, not just saying, oh, I'll pray for you about that and then forgetting about it 10 minutes later. Um, believe me, that's something that I have done before. Um, I've definitely grown in that, but it's still a really easy struggle to do that. Actually take time to pray for the needs of your fellow brothers and sisters. And I don't just mean the brothers and sisters here at TYG. You know, yes, I do mean them as well. But the whole church, we're all part of the body of Christ. Um, sometimes we can start treating TYG as like its own little thing and forget about all the other people who meet, gather together on Sunday mornings and on weekday nights for community groups and other and other meetings like that. You know, the church isn't just you and your friends. The church is a whole body of believers. You know, some of them are way older than you. Some of them are younger than you. Probably not too many, because a lot of you guys are pretty young. But love all the body of Christ. Don't pick out people who you're friends with or the people who you think, oh, maybe they'll be interesting to talk to. No, the whole body of Christ needs you to be acting, to be working. Um, you know, that's why we, why we say the body of Christ, right? Because some of you guys are, you know, you're, you're the hands. Some of you guys are the feet. Some of you guys are maybe the intestine or something. I don't know. But all of you are a needed part of the body. Um, and this is one of the amazing things about the love of Christ as it works in the church is he's made us, he's joined us all together as one. Um, and this is a sign that you are a true believer is that you've experienced this love and now you want to pour this love out. Um, if you're not a believer, you haven't experienced this love, it's going to be a lot harder for you to have this desire to love people um, who are in the body. You know, maybe it's not going to be as hard with your friends, but what about the old guy who sits in the back of the church and always wants to talk to you? I'm like, mm, no, I, I don't. 
No, there, there, there's people who, there's older people in the church who want to talk to younger, the younger generation, who want to talk about um, the Bible, talk about what they're learning. And, and, you know, yes, it can be scary sometimes. Sometimes it can be con- worrying. But God, they're part of the body too. And God has given them to us to minister to, and them to minister to us. Um, don't neglect part of the body of Christ. Um, remember that all of us have been bought by the blood of Christ. We've all been cleansed, and we've all been um, made right with God. And so that's kind of the three tests, but I do want to talk a little bit about how we apply these. Right? So we talked about doctrine, obedience, and love. Um, how do you know what, um, whether you are saved? Um, something that we talk about often is assurance. Um, and that's one of the reasons John writes this book, is to assure these struggling believers that they are saved. Um, and that's what we mean by assurance when we talk about Christian assurance, is how do you know if you are a believer? Um, and this is something that is unique to Christianity because all other religions are do this, do this, do this, do this, and if you do enough, then you can be saved. If you've done enough, maybe you can move into the next tier of spirituality. But the gospel says you can't do it. <laughs> Jesus has done it all. And that's and believing in that and putting your faith fully in Jesus is how we are saved. You know, that's part of the test of doctrine. Do you believe this fully? Or do you have you added something to yourself to try and earn something with God? Um, the, the other two tests, the test of obedience and the test of love, those are things that flow out of already being saved. Um, we love because he first loved us. Right? That's because we've been saved. Now we can love our fellow believers. Why do we obey God? Why do we obey the commandments of Christ? Well, because he saved us and now we want to obey him. Now we want to live for him because we want to glorify him. We're not trying to love to earn something with God. We're not trying to obey to earn something with God. Um, and if you think, well, if you're trying to live your life in a way that is trying to earn something from God, you know, examine that. Why, why are you trying to do that? Is it because you have this pride that is making you want to, you know, say, Jesus, you're cool, but I think I can earn just that little extra 1% that I need. No, that's, you cannot live like that. You must turn to Christ, turn to the gospel, trust in that only. Um, and for those of you who are saved, who you can look at your life and you see, yes, I do believe that Jesus has saved me. Yes, I can see that the Holy Spirit has been working in me in how I love people and how I believe, I mean, how I obey Christ. Then be assured. Know that you are saved. Um, and I also want to talk a little bit about um, doubt. Um, because it's a very real thing. Um, and there's often a temptation when you are struggling with doubt to not tell anyone about it, to hide it, to keep it to yourself. Um, and actually, John talks about doubt right here. Um, in chapter 3, um, verses 18, I mean, starting in verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. There are times where your heart is going to condemn you, where your heart is going to tell you, hmm, you're, maybe you're not saved, maybe, you know, maybe God... Maybe you believe in this. Maybe you believe this. Maybe you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you know, maybe it's not true in you. 
maybe you, God's not going to fully keep his promises to you. That doubt is real. Um, and I know this because it's in the Bible, and I also know this because I've experienced it in, in my own life. Um, you know, right after I graduated high school, um, I experienced a, just a wave of doubt um, in my life. And it started out, I don't actually, I don't really know how it started out, but I started thinking about like, well, what if God's promises aren't all the way true? You know, what if, well, I see this in my life, but what if I'm not actually saved? What if this isn't enough? What if I need to do more? Um, and that doubt just kept on coming in these waves. Um, I remember having nightmares about it, um, about well, what if I go to he- go to the throne before the throne of God, and He says, "Depart from me. I never knew you." That was a nightmare that I had a couple of times, and it was terrifying. Um, and at the same time that this was going on, I was learning a lot about the Bible, a lot about um, Christ um, through the DTP classes, and I was learning all this truth and I was trying to apply it and I was still struggling with this doubt and um, I don't know when it started I don't really know when it ended but I do remember that the lowest point (laughs) um, or maybe probably the like just coming out of the lowest point was we just finished in the DTP class uh, Tim was teaching and Timenez went very late. <laughs> I think he had gone till almost 10:30 that night, and I was driving home, and I was—I remember just crying in my car. And you guys know me; I am not a very emotional person, <laughs> um, but I just wanted to feel something from God, feel God's presence in my life, and just turning to Christ and asking Him to help me. Um, not to depend on myself. Um, And God answered that prayer. He didn't answer it immediately. It was still a couple of months um, before God had helped me work through this. But in those times of doubt, I encourage you guys, don't trust in your heart because your heart will condemn you. Trust in Christ. Trust in the work that he has done. Um, And that's one of the reasons I brought up that passage in Colossians, that all of our sin has been nailed to the cross. It's all paid for. That was something that really encouraged me in that time of doubt, um, that I can't do anything to gain more with God. I can't earn God's love. It's already been done. God's love is fully on me now. I do not need to worry about that. But I'm sure some of you guys are probably going through those same doubts, those same struggles. I encourage you guys to turn to the Lord in prayer and turn to the body of Christ. Turn to fellow believers. Satan uses doubt and tries to make it, tries to isolate you in it. Don't hide it from your brothers and sisters. We want to love you in those times. We want to care for you in those times. Um, And above all, remember the work of Christ. It's enough. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you guys to turn to Christ now. Remember, he's already done all the work. All we need to do is call out to him and you will be saved. We talked about that in Romans multiple times. And if you are a Christian, rest in Christ. Rest in the truth. Um... Don't try to earn something. Don't try to be something. Rest in his work. It's enough. And so uh, with that, I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we'll get over to discussion groups. Um, Dear Lord, um, thank you for tonight. Lord, I just pray that you've used this time for your glory. God, I feel like I could have done things so much better um, now. But Lord, I just pray that you have used it to bring glory to yourself. Um, God, please just help everyone here to
turn to you in times of trouble, Lord. Um, for anyone here who is not a believer, who does not trust in you fully for their salvation, Lord, just I encourage you to, I ask you to change their hearts, Lord. Only you can do that. I can't, um, Lord, as much as I would like to. And Lord, for those here who are saved, who do fully trust in you, um, help them to rest in that. Help them not to um, do something to earn something from you, Lord. You've already paid it all. Um, and I just pray that you'd bless the rest of our night, bless the conversations that we're about to have. And just, Lord, um, help us to live the rest of this week for your glory. In your name, amen. Oh. Here. There you go. All right. Thank you, Ethan.